Please take your Bible and turn to Joel, Joel chapter 2, if you would, Joel chapter 2. Slide down to verse 28, we'll be reading this passage of scripture, Um, and uh, follow along in your Bible, but actually uh, I will put this up on the the screens so that we can read along. What I want to do is to combine uh, Joel's prophecy with Peter's exposition of this scripture from Acts chapter 2. Very, very similar, but you'll see in the parentheses the, uh, the words uh, that are included there. Before we, uh, we read the, the scripture, uh, let me ask you uh, a couple of questions. Uh, what fills your heart? What dreams do you dream? Do you dream of the glory of the Lord filling the earth as the waters cover the seas? That's what the book of Habakkuk says. What drives you? Do you have visions of pressing forward in the work of God, whether they seem to you big or small? What words flow out of your mouth? Do others hear you telling of the mighty works of God? I want you to know that all of these things the Holy Spirit came to accomplish in each one of us. So with that in mind, I would like you to stand. I know you were just seated, but it'll be a good exercise to get you ready for the message before us. And You can look at your Bible or you can look at the screen, and I'll ask you to read along silently as we read this aloud. Listen to the prophecy of Joel. And it shall come to pass afterwards, Peter says in the last days, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, Peter adds again, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth, blood and fire and columns, vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those, switches a little bit from, who who call on the Lord to whom the Lord calls. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls. Our God calls to himself. I want to pray one more time before we enter into the exposition of this scripture. 
Father, we thank you again. This is a, this is a key passage, one of the most incredible events of all redemptive history. And so give us ears to hear and hearts to absorb and wills led by your Holy Spirit, empowered by your Holy Spirit to obey everything that we see in your word. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me go back and review just a, a little bit to bring us up back up to speed. You'll remember we were doing a series in the book of Joel. When we came to chapter 2, we did two sermons. And after the second sermon, I said, I, I just can't get through it. So I'm going to come back and we're going to do this message. Here it is as an addendum to the, uh, the entire teaching of the book of Joel. So let me go back and just remind us of a couple of things. The time of Joel's writing, I believe, and one of the reasons I chose this book to preach through is that his writing parallels ours, our day, even though it is approximately 2,800 years ago that he wrote the book. And I ask myself the question, ask you, really, is there anything new under the sun? The people of Israel had wondered. They had strayed from their wholehearted devotion to the Lord, and an incredible pestilence was upon them. Locusts had devoured their land, all of the produce of the land, and their economy was in shambles. They were devastated. If you read very carefully in that first chapter, you're going to discover that their worship was interrupted. And their lives were miserable. So, in chapter 2, just after God's call on them to repent and return to them, which apparently they did, he tells of a future restoration that would be, and this is alluded to in chapter 2, that would be brought about by the coming of the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Savior. So, that brings us up to today's passage. And Joel just kind of jumps. He jumps into today's passage, as I said just a few moments ago, to one of the greatest events in all of redemptive history, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon God's people, the, the birth, the creation of the New Testament church, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on people like us to fill us, to empower us to do something. And right here he mentions three of those things, to dream, to have visions, and to prophesy or to speak boldly of the mighty works of God. Now, I will tell you, I, I thought this would be an easy message to get into. It's just a few relatively short verses, but my, my, as I often do, I found that when I got into it, that there was so much here that I, I, pro I promise, trust me, and this is not a, an apology, this is just reality. I'm basically just going to scratch the surface, but I hope that our approach to this passage by walking through these verses, and here's how we're going to do it. You remember the old method of questioning something? The who, the what, the why, the when, the how method? Well, that is what I'm going to use to help us walk through these verses and understand what God has done on the day of Pentecost. And by the way, I alluded to this a minute ago. 
I don't know how many of you realize that today is the observance of Pentecost Sunday. I did not originally plan it to be talking about the outpouring on the day of Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday. It just so happened that it worked like that. So keep your Bibles open to Joel, but if you would, you can turn over. That's going to be a little bit more dif difficult on your electronic device, but turn over to uh, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to toggle back and forth. Uh, between Joel and that. So let's look at it. The first thing we're going to look at is the when. The when, starting with Joel verse 28. And, and Joel promises something. He says, it shall come to pass afterward. All right? Now, we're going to get to the it in just a moment. But before we do that, Let's look at the after. Whatever it is, and I think you have a pretty good idea. We're going to explain it. But, but whatever the it is, it's going to happen after something else. So if you look back a couple of verses, I, again, I alluded to this a minute ago. Joel speaks of a time of restoration. That was then. There was an immediacy to the prophecy, but there was also a future to the prophecy. And he also spoke, get this, of God being in the midst of his people. And again, he alludes to this through the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, that time, the afterwards of Joel, according to Peter, if you jump forward into the book of Acts, Peter's interpretation says that what Joel was speaking about was in the last days. In other words, to paraphrase uh, the, the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out and, and, and the people began to act in ways that were a little bit unusual and the crowd took notice. We're going to see what they really noticed in just a few minutes. But, but basically, Peter's explanation is what was to them, what you are seeing and hearing means, folks, now Peter said this 2,000 years ago, that you are living in the last days. I said this a few weeks ago, but people, we are still living in the last days. All right? For the last 2,000 years, we've been living in the last days. Let me just show you, in addition to what Peter says, several other New Testament statements of this fact. This is not going to be anything particularly new to you, but it brings home a point that we need to hear. Now look at this and see out of Peter's comments and then Paul speaking to Timothy and then James, each one has a different context but the motivation that is used for each statement is this time called the last days in which we now live. Look at how up-to-date these things are. Peter says it like this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares. We've already said that. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, understand this, that in the last days... There will be times of difficulty. Would you agree with me, and even more so this last week, that we are living in times of difficulty? 
Folks, that is nothing new. You look back over the history of the last 2,000 years, and the last days have been characterized by difficulty. Now, James switches gears a little bit. He's speaking to Christians, and, and this is interesting. He says, you ought to be about the business to which God called you. It doesn't mean that money is wrong, but he says, don't be hoarding, don't be laying up treasures. That's your focus. Why? Because it's the last days. Be investing yourself in the realities that God has in his kingdom. And then lastly, Peter says this, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with their scoffing. And certainly for the last 2,000 years, we've seen a picture of that people saying, <laughs> Jesus said he was coming back. Where, where's the promise of his coming? And Peter said, it's the last days and they will scoff. Now, let me just ask you a question, and this is by way of application to you. Is it late? Is it, is it late? Oh, my goodness, I, I'm, I'm already on page one, almost through page one of my message, and it's early. That's not exactly what I mean. Is it late? said this a couple of weeks ago. I did two funerals this last week. That always makes me think of the immediacy of either our going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ or him coming back. James says in his epistle, we just quoted him, but he also says this, the coming of the Lord is at hand. And John says, Children, it is the last hour. I read a cute story this last week. A little boy was playing at his grandmother's. And in the room that he played in, there was this old grandfather clock. And the little boy loved it when it hit, hit the hour and chimed the hour. And he would always count the hours. Well, it just so happened that both of the hands were straight up 12. And so he started in counting the, the, the chimes. And it got to 12, but something happened. Something in the mechanism messed up, and it kept on chiming. So he counted 12, and then he counted 13, and then he counted 14, and then he counted 15, and then 16, and it stopped. And he, he was so excited, and he ran into his grandmother, and he said, Grandma, Grandma, it's later than it's ever been before. I need to wake up and you need to wake up to the fact that it is later than it's ever been before. The coming of the Lord is at hand. I am not a prognosticator. I will not tell you the when, but most people who study the word feel that this is truly, as John said, the last hour of the last days. The key is just be ready. Let's move on. We now consider the what. We said it a minute ago. Before we get to the what, the it, we have to consider the when. It's going to happen in the last days. And so here's Joel projecting forward. And the day of Pentecost comes and we see it happen. So what is the it? The what is, listen to this, 
I, God says, I will pour out my spirit. Again, I know that this is elementary, but we need to be reminded about how all of this fits together. We know that Jesus, who is God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, came to live with his people. John, in John chapter 1, says that he came to, I love this word, tabernacle with us. But the question is, how could God possibly live in us? We had Jesus who came to live with us, but how can God live in his people? So, God is going to do something totally new and radical. He is going to send now the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, to come and to live inside of his people. Now, some of you might have caught that, and there was a little question mark there. Is this really something new and radical? Because already in the Old Testament, God had planted the seed of this reality in the minds and the hearts of the people. The prophet Ezekiel said this. Look at how they nailed it. These prophets of old. And you just have to look back and sometimes wonder, how did, how did Israel miss it? Here's the promise that Ezekiel said. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will put my spirit within you. I will not hide my face anymore from them. When I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. Now, of course, we know because we've read the New Testament, we come to the New Testament expression of that, that God is going to expand it beyond the people of Israel. Now, folks, that's what is radical. That he is not going to just do this, the pouring out of, of, of his spirit to be in his people. He's not going to just do it for the Jews. He's going to do it for, what does it say? All. What does that mean? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Let's not forget that context, please. Now, here's the reality. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to find that the Holy Spirit was present, but always in a more limited measure. He was given selectively to relatively a few people. Usually, he was reserved for the prophets and for kings, but even in the Old Testament, we see little snippets, we see little pictures of God's desire to put his spirit into his people. In Numbers chapter 11, I'm not asking you to turn there, but, but it's, a, it's a great story and a picture of God's heart as expressed through his servant Moses. And, and I'll just, just tell you briefly the story and then show you the scripture, Moses' response. The, the people of Israel had come out of Egypt and uh, they did what they did. I'm so glad we're not like the children of Israel, don't you? They just complained all the time. We're thirsty. We don't like this manna. We want meat. Okay, you want meat? I'll give you meat. Well, listen, 
Moses got so burdened, it says. He got so burdened. He went to the Lord and the Lord said, I'm going to help you out. I, I want you to choose from your elders 70, 70 men. Now, for their leadership, I think this is so, this, this is so instructive for us. Because they're going to be helping you lead, they need something. You've got Moses. You've got the Holy Spirit. I don't understand all of that. But he said this. God said, I'm going to take some of what is on you, the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to put it on them. Now, here's the interesting thing. The 70 minus 2, it says, we find out later, assembled around the tent. God gave them a portion of the spirit that was on him, uh, on Moses, and poured it out on those people. And it said they did something that's interesting, especially in light of Joel and, and Acts 2, day of Pentecost. They all prophesied. Huh. wonder what they were saying. You think that was some mystical kind of thing? They all prophesied. And then they stopped. That's the difference. They stopped. Now, here's the instructive part. There were a couple of guys who didn't make it to the, to the tent of meeting. I don't know why. Eldad and Medad. They were still in the congregation. I don't know. They just didn't show up. But they, too, got that same measure of the Holy Spirit. And so in the congregation of, of Israel where they were all assembled, they started prophesying and they kept on prophesying and somebody heard them and, and went and told Joshua and then Joshua went to Moses and he was kind of upset. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase from Moses' response what, what Joshua was saying. Hey, Joshua was t saying to Moses, Moses, this is your gig you're the guy that gets the Holy Spirit. And these guys, Eldad and Medad, they're in the assembly prophesying. And look at what Moses said. It was a wish of his that, that foreshadowed the future. Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? That these guys are out there prophesying? Basically saying, man, I love it. And I can't wait until all the Lord's people are prophets. And the Lord would put His Spirit on them. And what Moses wished for, Joel prophesied. And 800 years after he prophesied, God's really not in a big hurry. 800 years after he prophesied, Peter looked at that crowd of lost people and he said, you look around and you see what's going on here among these people, these believers. This is what Joel was talking about. That's the what? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to the why. What's the big deal? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? What was the purpose of the outpouring on and in God's people. Why was it so important? Now, we know from John 17, 1, and I want you to listen to this very carefully. John 17, 1 gives us this idea because Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer and, and he, he says this 
I'm just going to tell you what he says. He said, my ultimate goal in life and in my death, Father, is to glorify you. Don't we often say that the ultimate goal of Jesus' coming was to do something like do away with sin, and he did that, yes, save his people. That's why Jesus came, to save his people. That is what is called, okay, are you ready? Penultimate. It's very, very important. It's the second in importance, the salvation of his people, but he is going to basically get to the ultimate goal of glorifying his Father by saving his people. That's the ultimate goal, to glorify his Father. But Jesus was going back to the Father, and yet he would not forsake his own, not only in terms of his presence, the disciples still, they, they were scratching their heads. How in the world is he going to pull this off? Not only in terms of his presence, but also in terms of his empowering. Now, I'm going I'm to run through about four scriptures. Are you ready? For those of you here and at home who are taking notes, we don't have the worship guide. That's okay. It's okay if you don't take notes. Just, just note this in your mind because th this shares with you about the purposes of, of God in the outpouring. John 16, 7. Jesus said this. Guys, what's the big deal? The big deal with me going away? Look, folks. He says, I tell you the truth. This is really the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the helper. Who, who is that? the Holy Spirit, to you. Luke 24, when, when, when Jesus in his resurrected form, he was addressing his disciples, and he gives them the Great Commission. There are five Great Commissions in the Gospels and Acts, and this is one of them. So he says, look, here, here's what you're going to be about, guys, and the people following you af after you, and all the way down to Heritage Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. Thus it is written, here's the gospel, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you, not just the apostles there, not just the people to come after, you, all of us, are witnesses of these things. Do you ever feel intimidated when preachers or other people start talking to you about witnessing? Do you ever just feel intimidated about witnessing? I do. What, what do you say? I, you know, am I going to maybe mess it up? Or, well, that's why Jesus goes on in about three, the next verse, actually, 48. Look at verse 49 of this same passage. And behold, look at this. I am sending the promise of my Father on you. The Father promised this. So here's what I want you to do. Don't try to go out and do the work that I've called you to do right now. Stay in the city until you are, say this with me, clothed with power from on high. God had a, Jesus had a, a purpose for them. He wanted them to be witnesses, but not on their own strength. Let's go on. Luke, uh, excuse me, Acts 1.8, and this is 
right before he ascended to heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They still didn't have a clue what that was going to look like. And you will be my witnesses. And here he gives the concentric circles in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me paraphrase that for you. You will be my witnesses in your house, in your neighborhood, at Walmart, and in downtown Oklahoma City. Everywhere that we go. Now, here's what, these things, we, we forget that all of this is living. All of this is organic. God, and this is so cool that it is, that we have a living presence of, of God Almighty inside of us. God didn't, and I think this is the way a lot of Christians think, God didn't just give you power, like in a backpack. I have the power. So that when you needed the power, you could just pull it out of your backpack and use the power. No, he gave you the one who is the power, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself to come and live inside of you. Now, the real question is, and let's move on to the next one, the who, who gets this gift so what does it say in Joel? He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all. Are you following? All what? All flesh. Now, what does that mean? This is very, very important. Neither Joel nor Peter mean by that every individual on earth without exception. Because if they were teaching that, that would mean universalism. Universalism is a belief. It is held by not a few people in our world, in our country, in our city. And it's the belief that everyone is going to heaven. Everyone is going to be ultimately saved. Now, what Joel and Peter obviously mean, that all flesh means all kinds of people without distinction of ethnic group, gender, age, social status. Do you see those things listed there? He wanted to be exclusive with the way of salvation. Listen, exclusive. There is only one way to be saved, but he wanted to be inclusive of everyone who would come to faith in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, you have to understand how radical this was to the Jews, okay? To a Jew, they were okay. They were really okay with Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. There were Jews, and then there's everybody else. Everybody else is a Gentile. That's you and me. They were okay. It would have been okay for us to be in Israel. They would have included us. There were laws about the sojourner, the, the person who lives among you. He's a pagan. He's a Gentile. Uh, there were laws about the treatment, and they were really incredible. They even included pagans, Gentiles, in their worship. Did you know that? They would have seen it as a very inclusive group of people. However, if you will look at a diagram of the temple, 
You're going to find something. You're going to find in the very center something called, help me out, what's it called? The Holy of Holies. Who could go in there? One person, the high priest. Once a year. Off limits to everything else. But then right outside of the Holy of Holies, what was that court called? Anybody remember? The court of the men. Okay? And then outside of that was called the court of the Come on, women. But then there was a fence. This is for all Jewish people. There was a fence called a soreg. And there were warning signs on the soreg. It, it, it was actually called the soreg warning. And behind that fence, the Gentiles, you and I, could go into the temple, but we had to stop. We were included. Kind of. To a Jew, you and I could never, ever be a co-heir. There would always be a distinction. In fact, the warning reads like this. The Soreg warning, it was posted on that barrier, that dividing wall. No stranger, that is Gentile, is to enter within the Soreg around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. Now imagine having a sign like that in the commons. That's why this was so radical. What God was doing in pouring out the Holy Spirit and then Paul would later on write these words but now in Christ and this may give you a little bit more insight into some of the words that he used in Christ Jesus you who were once far off you you were out there you're on the temple grounds but you couldn't come inside you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus for he himself is our peace who has made us both who's the both Jew and Gentile into one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Galatians 3 says it like this. There, there's no longer. Now this is salvation. Folks, don't listen to people in our denomination or outside or otherwise who say there's complete role equality. God still has a plan for different roles in the body, husbands and wives and parents and children and, and in the government and, and in, in, in work. He still has that. But in terms of salvation, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Can you, if you're a Jew and you've grown up on these other teachings, um, can you see why they hated Paul? There's no Jew nor Greek. What? There's neither slave nor free. Come on. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. So be careful that you don't apply this to some other things, and be careful. You know, I, I just thought this last week as I was studying this and thought, oh my, how in our churches we have undone what Christ did, especially in Ephesians. He broke down the wall that divided Jew or Greek, young or old, 
male or female. And yet, so many times churches create ministries that divide us. We're going to target this group. We're going to target that group. We're going to target this group. Let's just target people and let God bring in to add to the church those who are being saved. We must move on. The what? What does it mean? I know some of you are really wanting me to get to this. All right. So now we get to this interesting stuff. Okay? There's a there is a positive and a negative side to, to what comes next. All right? The, the what? The ministry evidences and the cosmic signs and wonders. Negative and positive. There's the, there's the good side and there's the, the dark side. Okay? Uh, we talked about judgment in Joel chapter 3 several weeks ago. So let's just say this, that the dark side of Joel's prophecy is what appears to be past and future strange and even frightening cosmic signs and wonders and we've already seen some of this do you remember when's a time in redemptive history that we have seen some of this going on these these signs the crucifixion of Christ we got a taste of what's coming darkness over the land the ground quaked shook Rocks split open. Have you ever just stopped and thought about what kind of earthquake that must have been for rocks to split open? Now, some people today would really like this. It said the dead got up and walked around. Some people in our culture would say, cool, zombies. I'm going to tell you when those people saw that, they were absolute. This was terrifying these signs and wonders, but folks, nothing like what is to come when Jesus comes back again and it says that all of these things will happen and these are a drop in the bucket when you compare the cosmos melting, being burned up so that a new heavens and new earth can be created. So that's the dark side. Let me get to the, the, to the, the light side. Most want to know what um, the, 28, the last part of 28 says. Prophecies, dreams, and visions. So let me just give you a real quick thing. I'm not going to get into a big, huge teaching about spiritual gifts. I want to ask you a question. Prophecies, dreams, and vision. Are these for today? The last, the last days. Remember Peter interpreted these he said this is what you're seeing is going to happen in the last days so are these for today and if they are are they for all Christians now hear me here's how I'm going to say this and we can talk about it later this these things are really not talking about spiritual gifts okay because later on in the teaching about spiritual gifts we know that in terms of those gifts, those are distributed to people individually as God wills. This is something that is done for all believers. Prophecies, dreams, and visions. John 16, verses 13 and 14. See if I can get this to advance. 
I'm frozen. There, now I'm not. John said this in John 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, for whatever he hears, he will speak. This is the key to all of that, the dreams, the visions, and the prophecy. He will declare to you the things that are to come. Here's the bottom line for all of it. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. People ask me all the time, well, not all the time, but sometimes, what's your pneumatology? What do you believe? Pneumatology is what, what people believe about the Holy Spirit. What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm teaching you basically what I believe about the Holy Spirit. Well, what, what I mean is, are you a continuist or a cessationist? That's for another discussion, but let's just remember that we've already said we believe in sola scriptura. Scripture was finalized. There is no continuing revelation, period. But that does not negate what is going on here. We just read it. What's the Holy Spirit's job? To glorify Christ, to shine a floodlight on Jesus. And man, it, when you read in, in Acts, there was a lot going on on the day of Pentecost. You think about it. And we read it and we, we just scan over it. First of all, there was this incredible sound like uh, it says, a mighty rushing wind. Well, what does that mean? You know how windy it is in Oklahoma. You just think of a, a tornado or, a, I mean, a, a whirlwind. There was this sound that came, and then there was this incredible, I don't know exactly all that it looked like, but this thing where fire came out of heaven and basically, everybody's hair caught on fire. Wow. And then all of the believers started talking. Now, with all of those, this is, I think this is so huge. With all of those things happening, what did the crowd ask about? Did they ask about the fire on the head? Did they ask about the wind? Where did that come from? No. They were incredulous because they said, we, we are hearing something. We are hearing these people in our own tongue. The gift of languages, that, that's what it says, languages. We are hearing them speak of the mighty works of God. These people were glorifying God. Folks, this is going to be the primary demonstration of the presence and the filling of God. And this is for all Christians, regardless of age, gender, social status, and I am so glad about that. So let me just say it like this, rather than try to figure out some of the more exotic interpretations of the manifestations, go back to what I first asked you at the very beginning of this message. Think in terms of what fills you, what drives you. Is it all about Jesus? Is it not about you? What fills your mouth? Seriously. What do people hear? When they're around you, what do they hear you talking about? Do you speak of the mighty works of God? 
in terms of what God has done for you and your salvation, how he walks with you and guides you and protects you and meets your every need. That's what the Holy Spirit came to accomplish. What fills your dreams? Now, I, by a dream, I, I'm just, I, I'm thinking that what he's referring to here is what does, where does your mind go in your downtime? When you're not consciously thinking about anything, where does your mind go? Or even sometimes when you are asleep, is it to love what God loves and hate what he hates? Do you dream of the glory of the Lord filling the earth, covering the earth as the waters cover the seas? Do you dream about the future glories of heaven? And then what, what drives you? Now, I don't know that there's a particular order. I, I like to think that there is. What drives you? If you dream of the glory of God covering the earth as the waters cover the seas, do you have a vision for you personally of how that needs to look? See, we're not talking about going to other people and saying, I have a word for you or all that kind of stuff. We're talking about you being so filled with desiring the glory of God, you dream about it day and night, and then a vision is birthed. How, how can I put feet to this dream that is in my heart, and then it spills out of your mouth? I don't think it's relegated just to old men dreaming dreams. I hope that I'll always dream dreams about the glory of God, but I, I hope that till the day I die, if my mind is still good, that I'll have visions of how that dream needs to be accomplished. And I hope, I pray that I will always speak of the mighty works of God. Some of you might be saying, well, I, I could never do that. That's why the Holy Spirit came. Say, well, I, I've had this dream. And, and you know, I was thinking this morning, and I, I, I am just so glad for you, Heritage, here and at home. Because so, so many of you, and you don't even realize it, you're living this out. You check it. And, and I think we, we've so covered this up, we've made it so difficult. God has, if you're a Christian, God has birthed a dream in you. And he's probably even put plans in your mind, into your heart. And on your better days, you speak of the mighty things of God. But still, when it comes to carrying these things out, a lot of people say, I, I couldn't do that. You know what? That's why God gave the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just run through these. You know, the great thing about beginning early is we'll still get through before noon. Listen to this. It, 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 this. This is great. Here's what the Holy Spirit came to do for you. Give you power. Remember, he's in you. Not just you have some power to pull out. He's going to give you power for witnessing. I asked a minute ago, do you ever have a fear of witnessing? He gives you power for witnessing. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. To do what? To be my witnesses. He's going to give you, and this is connected to the witnessing, because if you are really testifying of the mighty works of God, there are going to be people that get mad at you. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you power for suffering. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me of his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He'll give you power for prayer. I am so glad that God has raised up so many prayer 
initiatives, I guess we would call them in the church. I am so pleased about that. But every one of us needs to be engaged in prayer. And the Holy Spirit will give you a power for prayer. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, James says, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. He's going to give you, listen, in the midst of all of the craziness. And I'm not just talking generically out there. It's crazy out there. In our culture and in every culture. Don't think it's not. But it could be for you that you're dealing with something that's not even related to COVID or to the sense of justice. You could be dealing with something and you need hope for yourself. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, my great fear, I started that list and I thought, oh my, am I going to leave anything out? You're probably thinking, well, I, I hope you get to something that's, well, I'm just going to do one more in case I've left something out. He gives you power for everything. <laughs> he really does. Nothing is left out for the child of God. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to what? Life. Your life, my life, our, our, our country's life, the world's life, everything and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence and that leads us to the last thing the how we've made it all the way through those diagnostic questions that we ask how do we get this power all right you say i'm a christian i don't feel very powerful do you get the get it through maybe a second blessing or well i hope you do get a second blessing i hope you get a third and a fourth and a fifth and on down the line i don't know what number some of you are on i just know you're very blessed and you get a fresh blessing every day from the Holy Spirit. Don't look for anything other than the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And it is freely given without measure to whom? Those right here who call upon the name of the Lord. I mentioned earlier the dividing wall that's been broken down, the Soreg wall between Jew and Gentile. All distinctions have been erased in salvation. But just remember this, there was another barrier that was destroyed. Did anybody wonder if I was leaving that out? What's the other barrier? Not between us and the Jews, but between us and God that was absolutely ripped into the veil in the temple. There's another cosmic sign for you was ripped in two when Christ went to the cross for us. It was a part of that cosmic sign when he died, the veil that keeps people from the promises of God, from the presence of God, from the power of God, was torn in two. We now have entrance into his presence through the blood of Jesus and access to the Holy Spirit. So we've already looked at 
this and we looked at what came before and we looked at what's next. What, by the way, what is next on the prophetic timeline? Do you know what's next on the prophetic timeline? Well, we're not sure except of one thing. What, what's the one thing that we are sure of? That Jesus is coming again. We are in the last hour, the last days. The Bible clearly says that. Folks, it could be another thousand years. This is a day for the Lord. And it could be today. Like the little boy said to his grandmother, Grandma, it's later than it's ever been before. And here's what I say, just to culminate all of this about the Holy Spirit. Don't be frantic. Be filled. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, where would I be? Where would we be without the third person? Not a force, an energy, but a person. He has come to live inside of us. We didn't barter for it. You gave it to us freely and abundantly without measure, the Holy Spirit, to not only fill us with your presence to guide and to guard, but also to, to, to lead us and to empower us to do what you've called us to do. God, I pray that young and old, men and women, whatever station of life we are in, I pray that we would once again dream dreams of your glory, that we would have vision about how we are to fulfill those dreams that have been planted into our minds and then that from the outflow of that we would speak the mighty works of God, especially in our salvation. Oh God, I pray that if there's anyone here or listening today that does not know Jesus, let them know that today is the day of salvation, your word says, that they can repent from their sins, turn by faith to the finished work of Christ on the cross and be saved and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for this. Now, help us to respond as we conclude our time of worship today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.